Welcome to TMZ Live, Harvey Levin here. Fabian here. So, Kanye West uh, decided um, on an interesting fashion choice for his listening party. He's got a new album out. Yep. Um, there were tons of stars there embracing him, supporting him, even performing with him. Yep. But it's the uh, fashion choice here. Uh, looks like KKK to me. It, it most certainly does. It's a black KKK style hood. Um, he wore this, I think, during one of the songs. He wasn't wearing it the entire time. Obviously got a lot of eyeballs. Here's the thing, it's, people are shocked by this, but by the same token, they're not shocked yeah, by it. Right. And, and part of, there's two reasons why. One, it's Kanye, this is par for the course for him, but more importantly, he has sort of depicted himself wearing something like this in the past, notably from 2013, when he released Yeezus way back when, uh, the song Black Skinheads at the time, the music video for which it has, it portrays this like animated, the music video is animated, and in one of the animations in the music video, you see a black person, or Kanye himself perhaps, wearing a KKK style hood. So now this is the first time he's actually sort of wearing it. And back then in 2013, when this song first came out, it was seen as artsy and edgy, he was making a statement about something. Now, in light of everything over the past year with Kanye, him wearing a black KKK hood is seen much differently, obviously. Is it? I mean, because, uh, you know, I suppose it is, but with the climate today, uh, it just feels like everything is fair game. It's, it's funny you say that. It's So, first of all, yes, you're right. Like, the climate has changed. You could argue some people are, you know, almost siding with Kanye these days on all the anti-Semitism, et cetera, et cetera. But what's funny is that, like, Kanye seems back. This is his comeback. This album of his is called Vultures. It's supposed to be dropping this Friday. Who's actually going to release it or stream it? I have no idea from what I hear. But he's got big stars on there. He has he's big stars. Brown, he's got Chris he's got Brown. Ty Dolla Sign. Offset's on there. Um, Kodak Black is featured on there. Freddie Gibbs is featured. Like, huge features. Nicki and Minaj is featured on there. Huge, huge mainstream features. Bad Bunny, I saw his name featured on there. I have not heard his his verse or anything. I don't know if it's like a sample of Bad Bunny. And it's if old school Kanye. It's old school Kanye. And from what I've heard, the clips, I'll, I'll, I'll admit this, like from the clips I've heard of the music that was played, it sounds kind of good. It sounds like classic old Kanye. The music sounds interesting. His fans were there. They love it. And what's interesting is that like he's making this comeback. He seems to be getting welcomed with open arms. So the question is, is he canceled? Is he not canceled? Uh, are, are, we, are we over it? Like, is, the, all the, is all the anti-Semitism just... Is it done? I don't know. It's weird. Well, I kind of want to go back to, to a point that Fabian made about how years ago it was artsy and it was kind of new and everything. Now it kind of just seems like it's attention grabbing, right? I mean, he knows that everyone's watching him. He has to do something for shock value. He wore the White Lives Matter shirt last year. He's got to do the hood this time. And I know the album is slated to come out this Friday, but when's the last time that he put an album out on time, right? right. I think fans just kind of, they hear it, okay, maybe it'll come out Friday, maybe it won't. We hear of all these big names potentially on the album, but he also changes set lists and track lists up until the minute it's released, sometimes changes songs after an album is released. So I think you have to kind of take all that with a grain of salt, especially the release date. Now, if he does put it out on time, especially with a ma without a major label, he's been split from Def Jam for about three years now, uh, or anyone really backing it, it will be pretty impressive that he's been able to do that with a smaller team. Uh, we know that he has an issue holding on to lawyers, so I think that will be a feat in itself. But again, going back to the hood, it just feels like it's shocked back Shock value, pay attention to me, Kanye. I got, I got to tell you, I, I got opinions about this. I think Kanye West today is really disappointed because um, it didn't have shock value. Yeah. Um, it's Kanye West, he's done it. And with the climate today, and especially with him, Kanye West is something he never wanted to be, I think. 
Mainstream? Mainstream. Mm. That I think that when you go back... He's always trying to be a contrarian and be against the grain. Look at at what he did with his anti-Semitism. I mean, he got himself canceled temporarily. Yeah, he did. He lost all of his endorsements, Adidas, Balenciaga, all that. And now the views that he espoused, which I think are awful... um, People are going way beyond that now. I mean, they're talking genocide now. So in a way, Kanye West has been left in the anti-Semitic dust. By the way, I'm not saying this to celebrate it at all, because I think it's awful what's going on. But I think Kanye West is mainstream. And I mean, that, that is probably the worst insult that he could possibly have. But the hood doesn't surprise anybody. Right. And the anti-Semitic comments, it's like, you're really going to lean in on Kanye when people are talking genocide right now? Yeah, it's almost like watered down. It wasn't enough. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, from the, ri- from the river to the sea, by any means necessary. I mean, that goes right to October 7th. By any means necessary. Kanye West, I mean, maybe it does seem tame by yeah. comparison. Right. But this is the world we live in. Mm. My name is Tamia. I'm calling from San Antonio, Texas. And my comment is that I feel like this is very on brand for Kanye. Um, no shock value at all. He's just doing what he said he was going to do back way back when, when he was on that Sway in the Morning interview. By the way, we would be remiss not to mention the fact that his children were there. I think three of the four children were there. And North and, performed. And North performed. She is featured on the album. It sounds like a terrible verse. I'm not trying to knock the kid, but stop putting your little kids <laughs> on albums. Nobody wants to hear your little kids rap or sing or anything. Anyway. It's the thing in, the, in 2023 It is. He right followed now. Drake, and now Adonis has to respond. Beyonce. Anyway, exactly. So I guess okay. we'll see what comes of it. We are going to move on. Um, this is uncomfortable, I got to say. So Drew Barrymore, who has a very successful talk show now, had yes. none other than Oprah Winfrey on. Uh, there they are together, hugging, yep. which is fine. Sure. But then... Um, Look at that. See that? The, the, the clasping of the hands. That's, that's the key here. Drew Barrymore never let go of Oprah, at least on the, le- on the left side. So we're going to show you what Drew Barrymore did with Oprah on the show, and then we're going to tell you what Oprah had to, had say, to say about, about the whole thing. Yeah. You love your audience the way I love my audience. I could see that you feel for your audience, and that's the reason you show up every So soothing. I want somebody to do this for me all the time. All the time. This is good. Something I, um, yeah, I'm available. I can do it. Oh, my gosh. So there she is. I, I'm grasping sorry. under her hand, I, not sorry. letting go. I'm stroking sorry. Stroking her arm. Personal space. It's uncomfortable. It's weird. So, anyway, so we got Oprah out and, um, and asked her about it to see whether, whether she was uncomfortable. Right. Um, her reaction to this, to me, was surprising. Drew Barrymore was holding her hand for dear life. And fans want to know, were you uncomfortable at any point? Not a bit. I know that's right. Not a bit. I was actually comforted by the stroking of the arm. Really? I went home and told Stephen, you got to stroke my arm. (laughs) Stephen, I need to to be stroked on the arm. So comforting. No, I was not uncomfortable at all. I've never seen her do that, but I thought... I thought it was, I thought it was endearing is what I thought. I love that. Get Oprah, why wouldn't she want to hold your hand? Well, I thought it was really great. So thank you. Thank you for asking. Drew is, she's terrific. And I, I, I love that she is always herself. I love this so much. I don't think it was cringeworthy at all. I don't think it was uncomfortable. Really? You guys are both males and females. We like do this to each other. We we invade Women, personal that? space. We hold each other's hands when they're going through something. She was giving her words but what, but of like, do you, endearment. But what, Nikki, Drew, Nikki. Wait, let me finish. Do Drew you Barrymore let go? Was, 
Drew you Barrymore, let go. Drew Barrymore was giving Oprah props for what she has now done and transcended <laughs> it into her show. It doesn't matter that she didn't let go. She was holding on to her friend's hand, interlocking like the, the hands together, the fingers, and the stroking of it maybe took it a little bit too far, but that's what women do. We like to show affection to our friends mm. and give Have them words of encouragement. Wait, wait, wait. Do you do that? Yeah, I do it with Jen all the time. Oh, wow. You okay. do not. Oh, that's Jen. <laughs> Can I, can I be honest? Even though Oprah said she was not uncomfortable with it, I think she was just running cover for Drew. Because if you actually like listen and parse her response a little bit and the way she reacts, she's kind of like, "Yeah, it was really, it was really her. It was really." Uh, she's like searching for the words. Yeah, she's to, not going to drag. Yeah, it. you guys are I mean, reading way too much into this. Maybe she I would am. have moved her hand away if she was uncomfortable. She was Oprah Winfrey. She's not going to sit on that couch and have a headline be something that she is not comfortable with. So I, she would I have gotta, removed her hand. I got to say, as a producer. Um, good on Drew Barrymore because if it were if Oprah were on the show, it would be great, but we wouldn't be talking about it right now. Right. But because she's doing this thing, um, talking everybody's it. talking about it. Yeah. So good on Drew Barrymore. Hi, Jenna from Kentucky here. Um, I agree with the last person. I thought it was endearing and sweet, and I think it really matters on who is doing the rubbing. Um, with Drew Barrymore, you know that there's not a hidden motive, so I think she's coming from a place of love and compassion, and I feel like Oprah felt that. I just want to say, if there are double standards here. If it was a man who was stroking her, we'd be up in arms, making a big, big thing about it. But Drew Barrymore does it. It's fine. That's I don't like that. I don't like double standards. A lot of people are. A lot of people were uncomfortable by this, at least on social media. Yes. But I, I don't know. Jonathan Majors is back in court today, and two key witnesses testified, uh, namely the two police officers who arrived on the scene uh, and responded to Jonathan Majors' 911 call uh, to to Grace Shabari, his accuser. So what they testified to today was interesting. They said that. One, the call came in as a reported overdose suicide. We should just say, just for people who don't know, this is the case where the, he and his ex-girlfriend were in the backseat of an Uber. Yes. Um, prosecutors say he attacked her. Yes. After they got in an argument they separated over that, Yep, they separated that night. She went on to go party. So they're prosecuting him for assault. Um, the prosecution is still presenting its case, and the cops testify. Yeah, so basically the following morning after Jabari had gone out and partied, she apparently made her way back to his apartment, got into his apartment, and passed, passed out. out on the floor. That's when cops showed up. That's when they arrived and they found her. She came to. One of the first things they say she said was, how did I get here? That's what one of the officers testified to today, which is interesting. That means That seems to mean that she blacked out. She lost consciousness at some point. That's what it seems to indicate to me anyway. Uh, they also say that, that she found, they noticed a cut on the back of her ear. She didn't quite seem to know in the moment how exactly she had gotten that. That's also kind of interesting. Uh, one last tidbit from today's testimony. The cops say that they actually helped her fill out the domestic violence police report. One of the cops said he filled out page one for her uh, and that she filled out page two. So I'm trying to figure out how this helps the prosecution. It doesn't. Because number one, well, they called her. Yeah. They called the cop. Yeah. But number one, if she doesn't remember, she's the accuser. Yes. And so that's a problem right there. And number two, if the jury believes that the cops were kind of pushing her along by filling out forms, I don't think that helps prosecution either. Yeah, I, th I think this is a really damaging day for the prosecution for a couple of reasons. I, I don't think it's a big deal in and of itself that the police were assisting her to fill out the forms, but 
given everything else we know here where, you know, the, the facts you guys were just talking about, where she can't remember a lot of the details, it all of a sudden looks like something that was sort of, if not concocted after the fact, at least was suggested to her this may have been the way things happened and she signed on to it. And that gives a, when you're trying to uh, uh, prove someone's guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, makes it very difficult to do in that situation. Prosecutors really suffered a blow today. Well, but the prosecutors, it was self-inflicted, well, and although they, ultimately they had to call the cop. Yes. So they called the cop, but also they had called the driver previously of the yep. Uber, yeah. and he didn't help the prosecution. No, he, he was the key witness. He was one of the last people to testify yesterday. And what he said was he didn't exactly see what was going on behind him. His eyes were straight ahead on the road, but what he said he heard was it sounded like Jabari was the aggressor. I think the quote, I'm paraphrasing, is, quote, it was all her and it was not him. She was hitting him. The boy wanted her out. He was trying to get her out. So he testified that Jonathan Majors was the one who was trying to kind of defend himself against Jabari. That's what he says he heard. Uh, the judge had to remind him, don't testify to what you think happened, testify to what you saw. But he says it sounded, to him it sounded like Jabari was the aggressor. And again, and to your point, that hurts the prosecution's right, and, case. And the sound is part of the testimony. It is. So it's not that it's hearsay. He's testifying, here's what I heard being the third person in that car. Right. So what you got is, you got a situation where the cops are saying she didn't remember. You've got her going to a nightclub after the incident and seemingly unbothered, at least from video. You got a driver saying she was the attacker. Now you also, on the other side, you have text messages that Jonathan Major yeah. sent and that are not good for him. Those were damning last week. They were referring to something from 2022. It's unclear what exactly he was referring to, but it sounded like he was referring to some kind of physical altercation. He said something to the effect of, don't go to the hospital. They'll investigate this. It's going to be bad for me. And she said, I, I'll tell them that I want to be with you. I'll tell them that I bumped my head. Sounded very damning. But again, those are old text messages. And that's we're, the we're, problem. You we're focusing on what's happening right now. You can't convict somebody for things that aren't on the table yes. in the prosecution. Whatever happened a year ago, that's not what this case is about. All he has to do is show reasonable doubt. And I gotta I, say, at this point to me, it, there's tons of reasonable doubt, but hey, I'm not a juror. And I'm not a juror either, but the, I, I, Jason, are you still there? Because I'm actually a little surprised they allowed the testimony in from a year ago, the text from a year ago. I'm stunned. I think it's reversible error, honestly. Yeah. I, I think they set themselves up for a problem on appeal. But back with you guys, I, I can't, I haven't been able to figure out from the beginning why they brought this prosecution at all. Hey, TMZ. I'm Matt. I'm in Florida. And as a law student, it's actually really interesting to observe this story because Jonathan Majors also was someone who's so prominent in, in pop culture right now. So this whole overdose thing, this 911 call, et cetera, is really interesting to to speculate on, especially with with the testimonies that they that they're taking that are way older. Um, it, it's 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 really weird to see how this could possibly damn his career, um, you know, as an actor, even with other stuff that might be thrown out of court. Yeah, where are you lost in? Uh, Nova Southeastern. Gotcha. Oh, in uh, in Miami, right? Yes. Yeah. I taught at the University of Miami Law School, and Nova was at Fort Lauderdale, oh, isn't boy. it? Here we go. If, yeah, if you could get me into Miami as a transfer, I'd, I'd love to no, do no, that. No, 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 I can't get you in. I haven't taught there in many decades. No, I'm not going to. Okay, we oh got to move God. on. We got to move on. Um, That's funny. Uh, <laughs> I mean, this is crazy. So TJ Holmes and Amy Rohrbach. Oh, my God. You know, they went, to the, they went to this big wedding over the weekend. They're all over it, the place now. And they're in public. They're we hands. reported that they were 
<laughs> they were making out on the dance floor yeah. or on the side of the dance floor, and there's a whole thing going on. So now yeah. their spouses are also dating, their ex-spouses are dating. That's so. the big story. It is, and now they're that's the big story. They're addressing it in their latest episode of their new no, podcast. No, they're not addressing it. Well, they're, they're, they're not addressing they're it. They're talking about it. They're, they're talking about why they're not gonna talk about it. There this we go. Let's hear nuts. it. <laughs> You didn't even get on the dance floor. It's hilarious that that was a funny headline that we can make light of. But there were, look, there were other headlines this week with agendas. And we absolutely anticipated that that was going to happen. There's nothing we can do about those. But this place, this podcast, this platform is not and will never be. We are committed to a place that this is not going to be about gossip. This is not going to be a place where we clap back at headlines. We are not going to get into that back and forth games because gossip is toxic. Oh, come on. I mean, <laughs> we want to listen to the podcast to get the gossip. This this is turning me off. I don't want to listen to their podcast now. I, I want to hear, I, well, first of all, I want to hear from their exes. I think they should have the exes on the podcast. But the fact that we're not even going to address headlines now, of the that podcast. that would be, I'd watch that. The fact that they're not even going to address headlines, though, about themselves on the podcast. That's all it, people care about. I'm That's all off. people care about when it comes to Amy Roback and TJ Holmes. Nobody, and what else, I don't know, what else why are they talking listen? about in their podcast? No, I have no idea, and I don't care. listen? I, I mean, I don't get it. What yeah. they're, I don't get what they're saying. And on Good Morning America 3 or whatever, I mean... They talked about celebrity gossip all the time. Yeah. And so I, I, I just don't understand. Do what you're good at and give the people what they want. Hey, this is Barry in Orange County, New York. You know, I kind of got a different take on this. When people get divorced, you know, there's a lot of pain that can go around for everyone. And if uh, Amy and TJ's relationship went public and their exes decided to not mount the big smear campaign against them, I think that was very respectable. And if Amy and TJ want to do the same thing and show the same respect and decline comment, I think we have a situation where everybody can end up living happily ever after. That's true, but will you listen to the podcast? Well, no. <laughs> That's the answer. Robert Hershevik is insanely successful. He is the star of, one of the stars of Shark Tank. The guy is loaded. The guy has this glamorous life. And, and he's always jet-setting, too. Which poor is... guy <laughs> was just humiliated in a very funny way. He was flying from Orange County uh, to uh, Toronto yes. um, over the weekend. And this is right at the time that there were big negotiations going on Between with- uh, Shohei Otani from the Angels and the rest of the baseball world who all wanted to sign him uh, to a huge contract. Rumors were flying, the Dodgers were in the mix, but also there were rumors that the Toronto Blue Jays were in the mix and that they were near signing him. So there's an airplane, a private jet, yes. that goes from Orange County to Toronto. And everybody thinks Otani is on this they, they plane. They mistakenly thought he was on there. They, they identified oh. him as being on the plane. It, completely, it was completely false and wrong. It was the number one followed jet in the world yes, at the time. On Everybody was watching this because it was such a huge deal right. to know where Otani is gonna sign. So the door opens up to the plane and everybody is just racked with anticipation. To see who it is. And who was it? None other than Robert himself. Rob, can I ask you a quick question? Did you know when you were in the plane, did you know all this frenzy was going on down on the ground about Otani or were you like completely unaware of it? What's crazy is I'm normally like a super connected guy. I run a big cybersecurity firm. But this time my wife had to go back to Australia for a funeral it was just me and my five and a half year old twins 
on a four and a half hour flight. Yes, we're flying private, it's great, but the kids are losing, losing it. And I'm not paying attention. So I turn off all my devices oh, so I can alert no. and be good dad. I had no idea until I landed and the customs guys, I see tons of police customs, they come on the plane and they say, where is he? And at the same time, <laughs> I'm opening up my phone and I see the text. No idea, no clue. Wow. I am baffled. Why did the customs guy come on for him, but left when they found out it was you? I, I think it's because he's Japanese. Well, that's and what I'm wondering. Maybe they wanted to. They they heard about the frenzy. They heard he was coming. So, but why is why is yeah, why, what, what, did they did they answer that to you? When you land in Toronto with a private plane, typically in Canada, they just clear you. But sometimes they actually have to come on the plane to clear you. So that's but, not. But when they saw it was you, they left. <laughs> but didn't even ask for my passport. I know, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. As I'm driving out, I see tons of people, cars, reporters, helicopters. And I realize none of it, none of it is for me. What did I let them? So, so Robert, when you finally stepped down, they realized it was you and you kind of just shrugged your shoulders and said, sorry guys, it's just me. Did anybody say anything to you? Did anybody ask for, for clarification or, or how, did, how did you handle that? Well, I, I, do the, I do Shark Tank in the US, but I did the Canadian version, which is called Dragons then. So one of the reporters recognized me up here right, right away. And then I felt really bad because I realized all of Canada was tracking this plane. It was the- It's hysterical. I thought, oh, maybe it's the wrong tail number, but he's in the jet behind me or something. Right, right. <laughs> okay, so this is a true twofer that number one, we got you on the jet, but number two, we got to ask you about this. So he signs a $700 million deal, but he defers $680 million of that for 10 years down the road. Um, uh, there's a big controversy in our office about whether A, it's fair to other teams, and B, whether it makes sense for him to defer that kind of money with no interest at the end. Um, what say you? So there's a couple of things. I don't know if you guys know, but for professional athletes, you actually pay tax, not where you reside, but based on where you play. Mm. So if I, if I live in Texas, but I play a game in California, I pay California tax. So it, there's a component of it though, to be able to defer the tax. You can't get away from paying tax, but you can defer tax for 10 years. So he knows the money's coming, he doesn't have to pay taxes on it today. So I, I think that's part of it. The other report I read though is it helps with the cap for the Dodgers so they can spend more money on other players. And I think they had to get him to agree to that. But if you kick the can down the road 10 years, wouldn't that kind of set a precedent for all the other teams? It's like instant gratification. I want this player. We can just keep pushing it down the road it kind of changes the game a little bit. I think it's really clever it, it, because look at the salaries that are happening right now in baseball. So unless the cap changes, how are you gonna sign up all these players? I think it's a really clever way for the teams to be able to do it. And I think it's great for the players. I mean, would you rather pay 300 million in tax today or would you rather pay it in 10 years knowing you have to pay it one day? Yeah, that's La last thing, Robert, are you disappointed that he did not end up signing in Toronto after all? Well, 
it, let's not let's not get ahead of ourselves. The Blue Jays did reach out to my assistant, and we are booking a meeting. I'm not holding my breath, but I would do it for four hundred million. I'm just saying. <laughs> it out there. Um, <laughs> and listen, just so you don't get further humiliated, do you want to give us your flight plan for the rest of the week? Yeah, <laughs> it's a beautiful plane. I get it. <laughs> I love this story. Hey, we really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. Thanks, Robert. Thank, Thank you. you, Robert. That's hysterical. Yeah, that's that funny. is hysterical. Oh okay, we got to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we talked about this uh, last couple of days. The president of Harvard retains her job. The folks who have the power to make that decision said we're sticking with her. There is still fallout, and we will get into it when we come back. Welcome back to TMZ Live, Harvey and Fabian here. So um, you have probably heard uh, that the president of Harvard uh, has been spared. She will not be fired in a similar fashion to what happened at the University of Pennsylvania over the weekend. And she has a lot of support among faculty. Remember, she was asked a question uh, during the congressional testimony last week where she was asked squarely, would you view the calls for genocide of Jews as harassment or bullying, and she equivocated on that. So she has been spared, but the debate lingers and even rages on. So uh, we're really happy to have somebody on, Eugene Volokh, who is a professor of the First Amendment uh, at UCLA Law School, um, who has a lot of very strong thoughts about this, and he is joining us right now. Professor Volokh, welcome to TMZ Live. Uh, very glad to be on. Thanks for having me. So first, let's just get your take on this whole um, congressional testimony where the three presidents of MIT, Harvard, and University of Pennsylvania, none would say unequivocally that um, that's calling for the genocide of Jews on campus would constitute harassment or bullying. Yeah, I think that they were generally correct, although they may not have presented it as effectively as, uh, uh, as they might have. Um, Calls for genocide are, under various definitions, potentially a pretty broad category. Some people, for example, claim, I think quite wrongly, but still claim that uh, the Israeli counterattack on Gaza is genocide because it involves killing of a substantial number of Palestinians. Uh, and uh, uh, if indeed calls for genocide uh, defined broadly were, uh, were a reason to be expelled or disciplined at Harvard, people wouldn't be able to talk uh, 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 honestly about uh, uh, whether, for example, that kind of attack with an understandable amount of killing um, was proper. So the First Amendment protects advocacy even of awful things, even of the Holocaust, uh, as well as other forms, uh, forms of killing. Uh, and I think it's quite reasonable that universities, even private universities that aren't bound by the First Amendment, uh, uh, apply the same rules. But, but I'm just curious about that because universities are not bound by the First Amendment. So if they're not bound by it, why do they have to abide by it if there are other considerations? So public universities are bound by the First Amendment. The University of Massachusetts is bound by the First Amendment. Harvard isn't. It's true, Harvard isn't. So Harvard could expel, for example, say, hey, we disapprove of Israel. Anybody who is in favor of Israel, we're gonna expel you. They could say that they have every right legally to do that. 
But I think generally most private universities, except for some religious ones, have generally said, look, uh, we believe in freedom of speech. We believe in free discourse. We think that speech on our campus should just be just as free as speech at University of California, University of Michigan, or University of Massachusetts. I think that's a reasonable position for them to take. A lot of the arguments for protecting speech at public universities apply just as well as at private universities. Uh, the important that students uh, be able to discuss uh, controversial issues uh, without fear of losing their uh, losing their place at the university, losing their careers, losing their livelihoods. So you would then um, have the same point of view, say, if there was a group, for whatever reason, of Ku Klux Klan students who were calling for the genocide of black people. Yeah, the Ku Klux Klan is a constitutionally protected uh, uh, organization. For all of its extraordinary sins, it has never actually called, as I understand it, uh, for, uh, for at least not in recent but if, years. But if they did, but if they did, if they did, if they did. Yeah, I think that uh, if that were so, uh, then... Uh, uh, then I do think that, that that ought to be protected. But note what's going on in this hearing. In this hearing, it's quite clear that uh, Representative Stefanik wasn't, uh, wasn't concerned primarily about calls for outright mass murder of all Jews, by the way, including which would include me, um, uh, in, uh, in the country or in the world. It's particularly focusing, she's treating as genocides call for intifada which is to say calls for attacks on Jewish civilians in Israel. So the analogy would be, what if somebody were to say, you know, there's some war happening in Africa. And yeah, I think it's perfectly proper for some uh, uh, for some organization to kill some uh, citizens of an enemy state who are black. I, I would think that that's something that's a debate we should be having or people should be free to have. Where's the line? Because this is the difficult thing that if yeah. people do... Um, call for the genocide of Jews. Um, at what point, I mean, you know, at one point, I think it was the president of mm -hmm. uh, UPenn that said, um, well, when it becomes conduct, well, but that would mean killing people. So where is that line where the university would rightly step in and say, you can't do that? Well, thankfully, one advantage of applying First Amendment rules as a voluntary matter at a private university is that courts have actually dealt with these questions for many, many decades, and they've come up with some lines. So for example, if somebody comes up to me and says, Volok, I'm going to kill Jews just like you. Well, that's a threat. That's a threat of violence that is punishable. If somebody says, here's a kill list of Jewish professors or Palestinian professors or whatever else, uh, or even doesn't have to have anything to do with race or ethnicity or religion, uh, that would be punishable solicitation. On, um, uh, on the other hand, if somebody says in the abstract, well, yes, you know, uh, Israelis, just to take an example of a of an ethnic group that's not the same as Jews, but are often much talked about, are all morally culpable for various actions. And, you know, if people kill Israelis, that's that's just justice. Or the same thing with Palestinians. Uh, you know, Palestinians and Hamas are morally culpable for what their government is doing. And if that means Palestinian civilians get killed, that's just the way things go. That is constitutionally protected speech. So courts have drawn these lines and these are reasonable lines, I think, for private universities to follow as well. I'm just curious because there are some campuses and I think those three among them where you can discipline a student for um, intentionally misusing pronouns. Um, do you see a problem 
with that, where they discipline for that, but not for this? Yes, absolutely. I think that would be extremely inconsistent. And I think uh, that, uh, again, the solution, when you see inequality, do you equalize down or up? Do you equalize by equally restricting everybody or do you equalize by equally protecting everybody? And I think the answer is we should be protecting more speech and protecting it equally rather than saying, well, certain kinds of speech has been restricted. Let's restrict this speech as well. So uh, under your theory, I mean, you're cool with Alex Jones going back on Twitter. So the rules about social media platforms, you one might say, might be different or not. It's or an should, interesting but, but debate. Should, should they be? So it's an, interest, it's an interesting debate. And um, it, it, uh, there at least are plausible arguments for the proposition that social media platforms ought to be like the phone company. They ought not be able to uh, restrict somebody's speech just because they don't like it or even because it's really awful and false speech. On the other hand, some people say they should be more like newspapers. And we rely on newspapers to filter good from bad speech and true from false speech. So the answer to social media platforms is do you see them more as the phone company or um, as, let's say, UPS or FedEx that have to uh, that have to uh, deliver everybody's uh, uh, material or like Gmail, where we don't expect Gmail to be out there uh, saying, oh, we don't like your emails, we won't deliver them? Or do you view them more as a newspaper or as a magazine or as a broadcaster where we do expect them uh, to, uh, to to try to uh, winnow the good from the bad? Okay, well, that's, um, I, I got to say, this was really interesting. You are a consistent man, that's for sure. <laughs> and look, we, we truly appreciate the time. Thank you so much. A great, a great pleasure. All the best. Really appreciate it. You know the controversy over Bud Light. You know Kid Rock shot up a bunch of cans. Yep. And Dana White, the head of UFC, um, has not only embraced Bud Light, he made a deal with Bud Light. They're the official beer yep. of the UFC. Very lucrative deal, I might add. A very lucrative deal. And this really, really helps Bud Light. So, um, Dana White uh, appeared on Tucker Carlson's show on X. Uh, Tucker Carlson is still... Uh, going in hard on Bud Light. Mm -hmm. Dana White told him, what's up? I want to be with people and sponsors that I am aligned with, which makes sense in this crazy world that we live in these days. And let me tell you what, if you consider yourself a patriot, right? You're a patriot. You should be drinking gallons of Bud Light. Believe me when I tell you. Wait, wait, wait. I should be, boycott I should be boycotting Bud Light. Gallons of Bud Light. You should have Bud Light drums stacked up in your garage and drinking it right out of the keg. Uh, they are way more aligned with you than most of these other beer companies are. That I guarantee you. So obviously he's saying that because he struck this huge deal with them and he's getting paid to feature well, Bud Light all over UFC. I don't think that's fair. So, he, I mean, he, 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 I, look, Dana says what he means. Well, I, no, no, I, no, but I the, reason, the, the reason I don't think it's fair is da that Dana White has talked before about the fact that um, Anheuser-Busch really supports the military. They right. hire people out of the military. So he has specific, he's, he's even said that there were plenty of beer companies that wanted to make this deal with UFC. He chose Anheuser-Busch, Bud Light, because of things they do right. to help people. I, I think absolutely right, Harvey. And, and I'll say this, and I, I wholeheartedly believe this. I don't think Dana White would ever say something that he did not full wholeheartedly believe. And, and I actually do believe Dana when he says that, hey, look, 
I, I understand the boycott, but uh, Anheuser-Busch has values that align with many on the right, and, and maybe it's time to stop the, uh, to stop the, uh, the, um, the boycott here. He does stick to his guns, so I think that he does actually think that Anheuser-Busch is aligned with his values, and a lot of his values, a lot of people would say, are in fact conservative. Well, you know, so. but you know who literally did not, literally did not stick to his guns Kid Rock. Yeah. Because remember, Kid Rock shot up Bud Cans. Do you know what the harm? And, and there he is, drinking Bud Light. This was at his bar. So, I mean, I, I whatever I have a theory happened, here, though. I have a little theory. I think, first of all, Dana White and, and Tucker Carlson are buddies. They literally watched the UFC fight at Madison Square Garden last month together. I think this is a... I think Tucker and Dana said, hey, we're going to talk about Bud Light, and this is Bud Light now coming out of the boycott with help of Tucker Carlson. I think Tucker set Dana up and let Dana make the case for why Americans right. should not he, he boycott. Gave, he gave him that platform, and you're right. I think Bud Light and Anheuser-Busch, the parent company, they're desperately trying to say, look, that whole Dylan Mulvaney thing was a mistake. It was a little fluke. Let's get past it. Now it seems like Dana, Kid Rock, and maybe even Tucker are sort of embracing that. This is the alcohol equivalent to uh, Vanderpump Rules, that you just can't keep that anger alive yeah. for very long. Eventually you gotta let it go. Yeah. Hey you guys, this is Adarius coming from Atlanta, Georgia. Um, you know, since the boycott happened with Bud Light, I'm pretty sure, you know, all the fans of the beer are excited about, you know, it being able to be, you know, drunk again. But it just looks like it's it's crazy. That shouldn't even happen in that predicament. You know, it's it's a popular beer, but I guess, you know, people are just going to drink what they want to drink at the end of the day. Right. Yeah, this boycott's not going to last. It's probably over by now. I think it is. Beyonce is being called out anew, this time over her Renaissance tour, specifically the visual aesthetics of her tour, which one prominent Japanese artist feels like is a little too close to his. We're talking about Hajime Soriyama. Uh, he's very famous. He has this futuristic, he's, he's an illustrator. He does futuristic imagery, very specific futuristic imagery, and he called out Beyonce. Well, that in particular. Yes, he, he posted this one image of her wearing this kind of metallic, futuristic kind of headgear, and he said, yo, Beyonce, you should have just asked me, quote unquote, officially, so that I could make much better work for you as like my man, The Weeknd. So Hajime, he's done work for The Weeknd. Now he feels like the Beyonce world tour has kind of ripped she, off his style. And he's saying she didn't ask, yeah. um, and she just used the imagery. Wait, that's not what she's. That's not what he says. He ended up saying that she didn't officially ask him, and so what I'm presuming is the fact that her team might have gone and talked to him about it and try to get the rights for it, but she didn't actually go down on her knees, grovel, and put a post saying, "Hey, can you please? Can we please use your artwork? We love it." And what I think is that this guy is a clout chaser. I'm so mm. disgusted by it. I think that he's name dropping the weekend and he's also posting this because he wants more followers he wants more views and it's so disgusting that I could spit on my desk well i will say here's the problem with this that if they went down the road to ask you need to get a yes and if they asked and they didn't get a yes that's defying the copyright it's holder. almost like it's so you it's can't like do better it. you just can't do it. forgiveness than permission kind That's of thing exactly what right. it is and i'll say this th that imagery of her wearing the metallic headgear thing it does in fact look very similar to his his art does it not i mean it looks almost exactly identical so i don't know what to say it kind of looks the same to me hey this is raven calling in from texas and what i'm going to say is first and foremost the art is beautiful, but it's Beyonce. At the end of the day, she used it, and so what? I don't care. It looks good on her. It looks good on his art, and hopefully it sends more stuff 
his way. Uh, okay, what else do you guys want to talk about? Hi, this is Kashaya on the East Coast. Kanye West, is he not always doing something like this? At this point, we're not even surprised when it comes to the hood. We're literally just like, okay, here's another day. He's lost that shock value, yeah, which is his brand. So yeah. uh, up the ante. he's got to, he's got to, he's probably rethinking things today. Mm -hmm. One more. This is in St. Louis on Drew Barrymore and Oprah, and I think it was merely a matter of love, respect, admiration for Oprah, especially if she's someone that she's a role model who she looks up to, which is really a sweet and appreciative gesture, if you ask me, and right. nothing else. Let go. Just <laughs> let go. Yeah. Zac Efron got a star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame yesterday, and he paid homage to somebody he has a lot of history with, not just doing a movie with him. There was even talk of Zach doing a biopic about Matthew Perry. I really also want to mention someone that's not here today, and that's Matthew Perry, who was so kind and generous with me while we worked on 17 again. It really pushed me into the next chapter of my career, and for, for that, thank you so much, Matthew. Uh, thinking about you a lot today. So here's the thing, Matthew Perry probably will end up getting a biopic out one day, that's my prediction. And yeah. if they do end up doing that, Matthew Perry wanted Zac Efron to play him. Zac Efron has proven to be a great, fantastic actor. They kind of look alike. I could see him doing it. And it's just sweet to know that he's still at the forefront of his mind, um, you know, in, in wake of the tragedy and everything. I gotta say, um, having read Matthew Perry's book, that biopic would just be gripping mm -hmm. and difficult, but also really important. Oscar-worthy stuff. Yep, uh, we'll see you tomorrow.